I think the one big thing that needs solving to get mass adoption is simplifying energy. I think, uh, and that's what Exponent is all about. Once you get energy to the batteries, everything after that in electric vehicles is is great. But everything before that, the whole journey of taking energy from the grid, transferring it to the batteries, distributing it among hundreds of cells inside a battery, managing every cell, cell cell life. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fairly complicated process and we look at energy in EVs as a two-sided problem. This this grid-facing charger and this vehicle-facing battery, both of this needs solving, both of this needs to work in harmony and in sync to really solve this problem and that's what we do. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Welcome to Forbes India's The Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on India. I'm Hari Arakli, and my guest today is Arun Vinayak, co-founder and CEO of Exponent Energy, a battery and charging technologies provider for the electric vehicle market in India. Vinayak was part of the founding team and chief product officer at e-scooter maker Ether Energy, started Exponent in 2020 to tackle the problem of quickly getting power into EV batteries from the grid. He has raised about $6 million in funding so far and expects to see his products in the market this year. Here's more. Arun, welcome to this podcast and thank you for making time for this. Uh, Just to get us started, maybe you could uh, uh, give us uh, a brief snapshot of how the EV industry is changing in India from the time that uh, you were working at Aether uh, and in more recent times and then we'll go from there. Uh, th- thanks so much, Hari, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, I, I think I think start, been building EVs for a while now. Started uh, was one of the founding partner, partners at Ather. Uh, it's been doing that since 2013, 2014. Um, and uh, back then, obviously, not many people in the EV space. It's sort of a lonely journey, and I, I don't think many people even believed in the potential of EVs back then. Uh, and I think what started off as a geek project of building batteries and just exploring what EVs could do. I think I think it sort of, we very early on discovered the potential for EVs. I think we realized uh, if designed and built the right ways, EVs can be better uh, than conventional vehicles. And in some sense, EV technology uh, helps you rewrite the rules of what it, how you can build vehicles, which is a very powerful uh, layer, right? That, uh, you fundamentally can evolve the whole vehicle industry to the next level, maybe on performance and user experience or ownership uh, levels um, uh, and, and I think on every conventional metric uh, of on the drive side EVs are already better it may be on performance acceleration uh, top speed uh, uh, lack of vibrations the overall appeal uh, those, this, the, the looks and the aesthetic appeal of the vehicle uh, uh, stability economy. I mean name it I think EVs are already better maybe two wheelers or three wheelers or four-wheeler passenger vehicles, whatever it is, right? So I think I think people are convinced today of going electric. I think the one big thing that needs solving to get mass adoption is simplifying energy. I think, uh, and that's what Exponent is all about. Uh, once you get energy to the batteries, everything after that in electric vehicles is, is great. But everything before that, the whole journey of taking energy from the grid, transferring it to the batteries, distributing it among hundreds of cells inside a battery, managing every cell, Cell, cell life uh, is, is, is a fairly complicated process. And uh, and we look at energy in EVs as a two-sided problem. This, this grid-facing charger and this vehicle-facing battery. 
and both of this needs solving both of this needs to work in harmony and in sync to really solve this problem and that's what we do at exponent when did you start exponent and uh, maybe you can explain this uh, two sided problem a little bit more or two pronged problem uh, since you said it is a complicated process right now so specifically what is it that you are trying to solve at exponent uh, i i seeds of exponent came to my mind when i was at ether itself uh, this was around 2019 i think this was after we had started launch we had launched our product in 2018 and clearly it proved it had proven well with respect to customer love and adoption uh, while we had a whole bunch of issues on manufacturing and scale and we were fixing those uh, a lot of oems started coming to us at ether and said listen why don't you give us your batteries and uh, motors and software we will build products on top of this is also because i think around 2018 there was a frame to subsidy kicking in the government has begun it and clearly a lot of indications that india wants to go electric and this was reflected in a lot of oems starting to right and uh, and uh, and and generally a lot of oems uh, tend to focus on manufacturing distribution a lot of the drive train performance um, and uh, and obviously like i think working with technology players like ether uh, was something that was was seemed like a good idea but but and we tried this we tried this very uh, uh try try to make this happen personally uh, try to see if we could create a platform with an ether uh, but but ether was such a vertically integrated play right we built batteries vehicles charging network distribution and it was such a vertically integrated stack that we made a lot of crazy decisions that only made sense for us in the context of ether and the context of our customers it didn't make sense for other people to use it uh, so it wasn't a great horizon Right, it was it was it was built to be a great vertical, right? And uh, so it it just didn't work. And but that sort of triggered this early realization that hey, building vehicles for the top ten percent is cool, but can we sort of create an enabler layer, can, like a horizontal layer that can help enable hundreds of OEMs to go electric seamlessly across all categories, right? Uh, slow vehicle, fast vehicle, two wheeler, three wheeler, four wheeler, four wheelers, buses, um, you know, uh, premium vehicle. cost conscious vehicle whatever whatever vehicle you want to build we wanted to sort of enable that transition to go electric uh, and uh, one of the the way we solved it obviously was a lot of the oems wanted control on the battery sizing battery voltage they wanted control on the motor so everything on the drive side oems want complete control and configurability uh, so we we realized there is a need for a horizontal enabler on the energy side right uh, who can cater to all of these flexible needs so we decided to build uh and we call the flexible energy stack right uh, this is everything from the grid all the way to the vehicle all the way up to a cell right uh, so this includes the charging stations the the connectors the wires in between the pms the software algorithms all of this as needed to take energy from the grid and dump it onto multiple cells very quickly very efficiently very rapidly and uh, we call this a flexible energy stack and uh, the reason it's flexible is because uh we're able to cater to obviously it's a need and we're able to cater to any sort of cell agnostic so we're able to use any cell from any cell supplier uh and sort of factor it into our stack uh we're able to build this for any sort of voltage uh we're able to build this for any sort of uh any number of wheels and any power levels right so maybe a two wheeler or a bus we're able to deploy a flexible energy stack it could be a 40 volt pack or a 800 volt pack we're able to deploy a stack uh, and i think that's a very key need 
uh, as we think through solving for energy in EVs. Uh, I fundamentally am not, not a big believer of things like swap, where we start looking at modular batteries that only work for two wheelers or only work for three wheelers, which doesn't scale. Um, so we really want to build a common stack that can work across OEMs, across form factors, and across uh, performance needs. And uh, that's been the core focus from day one. Uh, we've now launched two products. One is, uh, in some sense, uh, using this stack, we've created two products, right? Uh, uh, on two sides. One is the 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 e pump, which is the charging station, and the other is the battery, which is the uh, e pack. And put together, they provide fifteen minute charging, uh, and we provide a three thousand cycle warranty. Right, and uh, that that's that's uh, that's that's the two sidedness of this. Uh, the reason we look at energy as a two-sided problem, I think, goes a little deeper, right? I think if you look at uh, uh, the the petroleum industry um, or and how conventional vehicles are built, energy is all about uh, upstream uh, problem statements, right? Like, how do I uh, discover petroleum? How do I extract it? How do I refine it? How do I distribute it? The transaction per se is fairly easy. Anyone can transfer petroleum into anyone's uh, tank, right? Uh, so the energy industry and the automotive industry have fairly worked in isolation, right? So today you buy a car and you decide whichever car you want, and even though you can go refuel in any petrol station in, in anywhere. Right? So it's a fairly decoupled problem. That's not how it is in the electric vehicle world, right? And EVs is quite different. Uh, the upstream is sort of a commodity. There's energy all around us, right? There's the grid. It sort of helped us commoditize electric energy. Right? Uh, but the pro pro process of taking energy from the grid and transferring it and putting it into the batteries and into multiple cells, that's the problem. Right? The transaction becomes a hard bit. And uh, like in some sense, uh, money went from hard cash to electronic payments. Energy is actually going from sort of dumb chemicals that you pour to smart electrons. Right? And if you wanted to charge a battery up in four to eight hours, yeah, sure, you could have a basic protocol and you could transfer energy slowly between the grid and the vehicle. But if you want to do this in 15 minutes or actually in the future, five minutes, and you want to do this without damaging cell life, uh, you need to solve for both sides of this transaction. You need to ensure that you've innovated on the charging station side and you've innovated on the battery side. And you need to, both of them have to work in sync for this transfer to happen seamlessly. Right? And it's also a deeper problem because on one side, you have OEMs working with batteries. On the other side, you have charging station operators setting up charging stations. Right? So it's also fairly two different industries that need to work together or need to be stitched together. And I think that's beyond building the tech, we also see ourselves needing to work on bringing these two uh, stakeholders together. Mm. You, you've uh, explained some of this. You started the company uh, when? In 2019, 2020? Uh, 2020. Okay. And uh, now you said you have two products. So these are commercially generally available, is it? Both these products? Uh, not yet. Uh, we will be launching them soon. Uh, we've, we've, we started testing with a lot of the OEM partners that we work with, uh, right? Uh, to ensure uh, our batteries are neatly integrated into these vehicles. Uh, we're, we're focusing on the three-wheeler and the four-wheeler cargo market to start with. These are last-mile delivery markets that we're focusing on right away. Uh, and on the other end, we're also signed on our first two charging station partners. So we will be deploying our charging e-pumps in these locations uh, over the next few months. Oh, hmm. Okay. Uh, 
tell us a bit more about uh, uh, the core tech that you have uh, uh, developed which allows you this uh, 15 minute uh, charging capability got it uh, so think of cells as buckets right uh, there are all types of buckets uh, small buckets large buckets uh, cheap buckets expensive buckets and uh, fundamentally cells are fairly uh, dumb if you think about them they sort of just a tin can with a bunch of chemicals uh, how cells behave and how cells how long cells last is fairly a function of uh, the how you manage them right um, with respect to temperature voltage uh, current etc right so uh, so what's key to our uh, our technologies uh, how we manage uh, all types of cells so we cell agnostic but we built all the battery management systems thermal management systems etc uh, that allow us to manage battery life uh, and allow us to boost charging performance uh, without damaging battery life and in some sense an analogy extension to that bucket is we built in some sense a pipeline uh, that fills up any of these buckets up very quickly very very accurately uh, and very safely right uh, we are able to leverage regular lfp cells today if you look at lithium ion cell manufacturing around the world nmc and lfp are the two most popularly manufactured cell types and they you could say they're almost getting to a place where they're manufactured like commodities right and so without getting into cell manufacturing we are able to leverage the manufacturing ecosystem that exists around the world we're able to slap on our technology on top of it and we're able to rapid charge today's regular cells in 15 minutes and as cell technology keeps evolving our pipeline is equally leverageable to rapid charge the future cells as well in possibly 5 minutes and eventually in 2 minutes we've actually rapid charged cells in 5 minutes but it's not commercially viable today so we are focusing on launching a product that can rapid charge in 15 minutes and while also being commercial hmm. for the sake of uh, a little bit of completion as well as for folks who might be interested in the technical uh, stuff uh, just briefly tell us what uh, nmc and lfp cells are all right uh, so, so so nmc is obviously uh, uh, cells that are a little more energy dense a little more sensitive these these are cells that are commonly used in in uh, your cell phones uh, any sort of devices a lot of the high end cars and scooters use uh, nmc cells uh, these are cells that have nickel manganese and cobalt so that's the specification uh, like a, it's a sub variant of lithium ion both nmc and lfp are sub variants of lithium ion cells uh, and uh, but it's just uh, uh it it comes down to what sort of cathode and anode material that you use right uh, and fundamentally these are variations in cathode right so uh, lfp is lithium ion phosphate cells right uh, so that's a different sub variant of lithium ion cells so when people say lithium ion is actually many many types of lithium ion cells uh, and uh, each lithium ion cell has uh, trade offs uh, when it comes to some might be heavier some might be lighter some might be uh give, give you longer life some are more thermally stable so it's it's sort of it's a question of balancing these trade offs and finding the right cell for every application and uh, we we love all types of cells right? every cell is good and it's it's great for one specific type of application uh so we've ensured that we are cell agnostic in our solution um and uh, but most often india today is betting on lfp and uh, definitely in the commercial vehicles space lfp is very very popular 
because it's very thermally stable and also provides a much longer life than NMC. And and what is the uh, NMC? What does the acronym stand for? Uh, nickel, mang- manganese, and cobalt. NMC is actually used in uh, more passenger vehicle applications where you care about. So NMC versus LFP, right? NMC is little uh, more uh, lightweight. So it 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 for the same sort of range, right? Uh, say you want hundred kilometers, uh, you fundamentally need a particular type of battery size in kilowatt hour. Right, so that's that's generally rated as your battery capacity, right? Um, so when it comes down to battery capacity, uh, the question comes down to what is the weight of the of a particular cell uh, that gives you that sort of battery capacity, right? So we generally look at something called energy density as a metric, right? So for every kg of the cell, how much kilowatt hour of energy capacity does it provide? So in that sense, NMC is actually better. Than LFP as it stands today, um, uh, but NMC also provides much shorter life. So if I'm looking at an application where weight, weight matters, uh, and ergonomics matters, and aesthetics matters, and I want a much tighter packaging, then generally NMC is the primary choice. So if you look at a scooter application, like you know, for Aether, for example, we use NMC. Uh, I, I I believe Ola does that as well. So a lot a lot of the um, uh, I would say a little more high end. Aesthetics and and performance conscious markets will definitely go for NMC. Uh, definitely, most of your consumer electronics also use NMC. Uh, but if I look at vehicles that require much longer life, have much more rugged applications, uh, like the commercial vehicle applications, then LFP is sort of a no-brainer. And uh, the tech that is proprietary to you is. Uh, the the way in which these batteries are charged that allows you to charge them so quickly that is what is proprietary to you absolutely that that's exactly what we do uh if you to elaborate on it uh, uh charging a cell is sort of like sending the cell to a gym right it's 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 fairly stressful uh for the cell uh i mean you're actually increasing the potential energy of the cell right while charging uh you uh it's like it's like rolling a stone up the hill right the resistance is much much higher uh the the probability of damage is also much much higher when you're charging when you're discharging you're actually relaxing the cell right so discharging actually doesn't damage the cell that much 80% of your time your cell degradation is sort of happening due to charging right it's that complex process of putting energy into the cells right and we realized as oems you don't get points for actually solving charging like as an oem you want to compete on performance you want to compete on aesthetics you want to compete on cost on service etc solving charging is as a fairly hard problem but something that is quite inefficient for every oem to go start and start solving for themselves which is why we realize it makes sense for us to solve for this problem in a common manner and sort of leverage it across uh, and provide it to multiple oems right so that's 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 why we focus on this charging as as a problem statement and uh, uh, if you Get a little deeper into these cells. There, when you charge, lithium ions actually go from the cathode to the anode, and uh, this anode is sort of like this foam-like substance that accepts all these lithium ions. And the faster you charge, you know, the more lithium ions, the more chaos, is like all sorts of traffic jam that happens inside, uh, which creates a lot of damage and a lot of stress. So what we basically are able to do is we are sort of able to uh, regulate. and and streamline all of this inside a cell by understanding what's happening inside a cell and it's done 
through something called our BMS. It's, it's called the battery management system. Uh, it's what uh, it, it's basically it, think of it as sort of the brain of the battery. It senses each and every cell. It understands what's happening inside these cells and is able to make much better decisions based on that. So it's, it's, it's 50% hardware and 50% software. Mm. And, and explain your business model to us a little bit. I guess uh, uh, selling the uh, battery and the software and the battery management system to OEMs, that part I understand. I guess that's a straightforward sale. Uh, and when you deploy the e-pumps uh, and you build a network of these pumps, uh, how does that work? People pay uh, a fee for uh, each charge uh, and, and what else are the ways in which uh, you know your revenues will come in? Uh, so you're absolutely right. So on one side, we have the battery revenue. The other side, we sell our charging stations to business owners who want to set up and run charging stations as a as an as an operation, right? Um, one of the biggest problems today with charging stations is that charging stations don't make money, right? Uh, if I can only if I say it takes four hours to charge a vehicle, then on a given day, theoretically, I can only sell energy to six vehicles, like theoretically at best. Right, uh, but that's not enough. Uh, like, like, just the, that, that's very little energy that I'm selling on a daily basis to, to, for it to be a profitable business or even a valuable business to be in, which is why no one's sort of lining up to set up charging stations and run it as a business. Uh, unlike fuel stations, where everyone loves to set up fuel stations and make money, right? And fundamental reason is you're selling so much energy, so many liters of diesel, which which are packed with energy you're selling on a daily basis. So in the business of refueling or recharging, energy throughput becomes the most important metric to unlock, to open up profitability, right? And that's what we've done uniquely. We've now set up charging stations that can now charge a vehicle in 15 minutes. So for the same piece of land on the same day, you're able to now charge 60 vehicles, 70 vehicles, 80 vehicles, right? And that completely changes the game with respect to profitability of setting up charging it. Right? And this allows option and creates an opportunity for multiple people to participate in a clean energy economy. Right? So you don't need to have centralized charge energy pumps anymore, like, like, like charging fuel stations. We now are working with small business owners. We're working with multiple uh, communities to start setting up charging stations in a decentralized manner all over the city. Right? Honestly, it, it's very safe to set up a charge. Unlike a fuel station, which has so many safety requirements, you know, you need 14 government approvals. You need 6,000 square feet of land. It needs to be on a main road because you need this tanker to enter and exit every day. Uh, what's fantastic is we build this thing called the grid and the grid is all around us. Beautiful, right? So we just fundamentally need to tap into it and then create avenues to transfer energy. And that's what we've done. So now with the e-pump, we can actually set up hundreds of charging stations around the city and ensure that the whole network is profitable. And everyone who's in, anyone can just buy a charging station, install it and start making money every time a vehicle comes and charges. Uh, so we're creating the e-pump in some sense as, a, as an investment class altogether for small business owners to start investing. Behind. Anyone can invest behind it and start making money. Uh, we obviously have a revenue share model uh, uh, beyond a particular usage. So until a particular utilization, uh, we ensure that the charging station operator makes all the money and beyond that we work towards driving traffic towards the charging station operators so we ensure that the guys who bought the vehicles with the batteries are able to find the charging stations 
were able to navigate themselves quite easily to the science of things and things like payments have been yeah, quite seamlessly. Uh, so these are all the tools that we provide along with providing obviously the child and, and the underlying tech. Mm. Give us a, a snapshot of uh, uh, any funding that you've done so far and uh, over the next 12 to 18 months uh, uh, in terms of uh, setting up your e-pumps, uh, how many pumps are you looking to establish initially and so on? Uh, right, so so over the uh, over, over last uh, year, year plus, so we've, we've raised 6 million plus focused towards product design and development, uh, right? And uh, uh, it's, it's taken us a long way with respect to the deeper tech that we've developed. And uh, more recently, we've raised a round that helps us seed all of this in the market, uh, right? Uh, so we're focusing on, on, on getting, so as you said, along with the first OEM partner, uh, we are looking to deploy uh, a few thousand vehicles in every city that we enter along with uh, charging stations. Uh, so every city we enter, we start with 20 charging stations on day zero, right? That's like the minimum charging network that's needed to open up a city. And then as we build up vehicles, we're able to grow our charging station uh, network and we're able to 50 to 60 cities. Uh, but of course, it's something that we will do in the future. Uh, we've, we've just started. Uh, and over the next 18 months, we uh, to 24 months, we're looking at uh, the top 20 cities and we're looking to push out around uh, 40,000 vehicles and uh, close to uh, uh, close to uh, five, five, 500 child. Yeah, close to 1,000 child stations uh, across uh, the top 20 cities. And uh, you mentioned that it would eventually be possible to charge uh, vehicles in five minutes or two minutes. Uh, yeah. how, how far away is that commercially in India? Uh, Good question. Uh, I mean, I'm roughly putting that as something that is going to take another three years, uh, mm. two to three years. Uh, uh, it's it's a matter of new cell technology also um, uh, getting uh, production ready. Right? So while a lot of these new cells um, are in the proto stage or in, in, in small volume production phase, uh, there needs to be a lot more deeper investments to make produce these cells at scale and compete with the cells that are available and commercially viable today. Uh, so, so once that happens, I think it's, a, it's just a matter of us adopting it. Uh, while, I mean, we've already got the technology. What, what prevents us from making this commercially viable is the price of some of these uh, more new age cells. Mm. And uh, there is also, I mean, talk, actually give us a sense of uh, how the uh, battery uh, technology and in, the, in fact, even the basic chemistry of batteries uh, is changing. Uh, people are also talking about solid state batteries and so on. Uh, so, uh, tell us a bit about uh, how those things are evolving and uh, uh, what is happening in terms of uh, the unit cost of uh, energy from each battery. Got it, got it. Uh, so, I, I think multiple, uh, so many types of innovation on, on, on cells. Uh, one of the most important Innovation is on cathode and anode materials, right? So when I say NF, NMC, LFP, LTOs, etc., these are all different types of cathode anode combinations, permutations and combinations, right? You have something called NCA as well. So, I mean, um, I mean, if people are interested, they can just look it up and a Wikipedia page will sort of talk about different types of lithium-ion cells. Uh, so one of the most important types of uh, innovation has been on cathode and anode, uh, uh, which allows uh, us to push in more energy, more power, uh, and uh, that's innovation line one. Innovation line two has all obviously been around the type of electrolyte material. Okay, so that's where 
people talk about liquid electrolyte or solid state cells which are basically do you even have a liquid electrolyte or not uh, having liquid electrolyte um, makes the cell a little heavier and less energy dense uh, which means heavier right and uh, it also leads to there are also other issues around temperature stability of liquids etc right solid state obviously eliminates a whole bunch of those concerns and that's been a big uh, big uh, bet for a lot of people but of course solid state also has uh, uh, has uh, other issues because it's a solid disk expansion and there's a lot of issues around around you know uh, the sort of damage and the sort of stress it creates uh, and uh, so so honestly while solid state cells has, uh, provides a lot of promise for i would say uh, automotive purpose of aerospace application space application where weight really matters and you're willing to pay a lot of money for it uh, i still think solid state cells are a while away uh, for large scale automotive application uh, but on line item 1 a lot of different types of cathode and anode uh, modifications i think that's fairly uh, uh, popular i think it's coming it's going to be adopted in automotive far sooner than one expects and if you look at the third line item of innovation uh, it's on going away from lithium altogether i, th- I think this is a very important one uh, people are definitely focusing on uh, things beyond lithium ion so there are aluminum ion sodium ion cells and uh, these become big bets uh, clearly i mean the recent news reliance is betting big on sodium ion and cattle a large chinese cell supplier uh, they're betting on sodium ion as well um so if you really need to go mainstream if you need to go make all electric all vehicles go electric in the near future uh, one of the biggest supply chain uh, uh risks is do we have enough materials to make these cells at at scale right and uh, uh, i think i think uh, uh, i think which is why people, a lot of people focus on going away from lithium uh one of the most important things there i think going back to our earlier conversation is uh, lithium is not really the biggest uh, concern right I, it's actually cobalt and uh, uh, and and manganese which are actually far more concerning with respect to supply chain uh so actually that's why nmc is not a very scalable sol- solution in the future especially for for india uh, uh with india's interest in setting up supply, like cell manufacturing in uh, locally right uh, which is why lfp is a big bet because lfp does not require cobalt and that that sort of completely changes the game with respect to how easy it is to manufacture and scale um and if you look at tesla tesla is also betting heavily on lfp these days um so uh, honestly be on a point uh, we love all types of cells so we just trying to see where the cell ecosystem goes uh, whatever cell people build we are in the business of filling it up charging it up and ensuring it lasts really long so that's something that we're going to keep focusing and being ready on to, to adopt this new itself tell us a bit more about uh, your own career i mean even before uh, ether how did you get interested in tech uh, what did you do uh, in college and afterwards uh, okay uh, i i built my very first car in uh, uh, in the 11th grade uh, uh-huh. and uh, it was built using second hand parts and uh, it 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 did not have brakes but it was uh, fairly fast I mean, fairly fast i mean went at like 40 km per hour it was sort of a glorified go kart at best and uh, while it was absolute rubbish i think uh, the exhilarating experience of driving your own vehicle that you built right it's it sort of um, made sort of turned the switch on in my head and uh, and uh, i think since then it's just been a chase of all things automotive um, i think uh, i i joined idmedras with 
with the belief that okay i can really sort of focus on automotive design and application uh, and uh, well academics apart i actually we actually started uh, a, a team that builds uh, race cars right so we actually built our own uh, formula student car of sorts and then we used to go racing along with a lot of teams around the world um, and uh, so we actually raced uh, at the hockenheim circuit uh and uh, we, uh, we were we were not bad but definitely nowhere close to good enough and i think that created a spark of how how much more india needs to catch up on with respect to uh, automotive design automotive development and overall technology development uh, and uh, and while i was passing out of college uh, uh started getting deeper into ev uh, swapnil who was a co-founder at ather and i were part of this team that started this whole racing competition right so that's how we know each other and then i think that's sort of spoiled us that sort of made us we also tried internships at multiple uh, automotive companies we realized no that's not really that's not really working for us uh tarun was working on batteries and and then there was this talk that we'll build our own vehicles and i said hey listen like something we've got to do and so we went from wanting to figure out how to like work in the automotive industry to saying let's just start our own automotive company. I think it was quite ridiculous, and even in hindsight, it was quite ridiculous that we started it. Uh, but uh, but it was fun, and uh, I think I think that's how it started. It started off as saying we'll build batteries, but obviously we had to build a whole vehicle, and that's how the whole the whole thing started. And, uh, okay, excellent. Uh, very interesting conversation, Arun. Uh, thank you again for making time for this. Uh, definitely hope to keep the conversation going. Thank, thank you so much, Ari. Thank, thanks for taking time out. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, thanks for having me. That was Arun Vinayak. That's it for this conversation. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.